This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Team, happy Monday. Welcome to the Freedom Hunt. Thanks for being here on the Buck Sexton Show with me. Appreciate you hanging out. We got the numbers in for illegal border crossings with the Haitian migrant surge. And no surprise, it's exactly what I told you it would be. Plus, you've got Governor Abbott stepping up border security efforts. COVID mandate for New York City school employees has been halted. New York State preparing for a possible National Guard deployment to help out with all the hospital health care workers who might be put on leave for vaccine mandate reasons. The FBI had an informant in the crowd on January 6th and oh, so much more. Before we get into all of that, my pillow is amazing. I'm sitting here right now after a great night's sleep in large part because of my pillow. Plus, I've got the Giza Dream Sheets on my bed. I mean, this is my morning. I wake up on my my pillow, on my Giza Dream Sheets, on my mattress topper from my pillow, and then I take a shower. Hey, and towel off with a my towel, put on my my slippers, and then I go about my day. I mean, this is what you should be doing, too. These are all amazing products. You will love them. So Mike Lindell wants to give back to all of you. You can get great discounts on MyPillow products by going to MyPillow.com right now, clicking on the Radio Listener Special Square. You'll see rotational offers up to 66% off on products like their pillows, mattress topper, and Giza sheets but also new products like their slippers, weighted blankets, robes, waffle blankets, and more. All my pillow products come with a 60-day money-back guarantee. Enter promo code BUCK for these great radio specials. Again, that's MyPillow.com. Click on the Radio Listener Special Square. Enter promo code BUCK for these great radio specials. So what do you think the border numbers are? I'm just wondering. I mean, how many of the people that were gathering at the U.S.-Mexico border uh, by way of South America who come from Haiti originally? Remember, they're not under even international law definition, actual asylum seekers, or they are not seeking asylum in the U.S. because they have transited already a third country where they were safe and decided, you know what? We want to go to America We want to go somewhere with a better welfare system, better economy, just a better country. Look, America is a better country than Brazil or Chile. Those are fine countries. I have actually friends from, well, definitely a lot of friends from Brazil. I've met some people from Chile. But America, if you could have your pick, is probably where you'd rather be. But that's not what asylum is. That's not how the system is supposed to work. And yet here we are seeing that. Everything that I told you about how they are going to be led into the country, the people who are saying otherwise are lying to you. Um, Yeah, they were. They were lying to you. We now have numbers on this. I think I said last week my prediction on this show, or it might have been on the Clan Buck show, but my prediction somewhere on the record was that you would see something along the lines of a 60% or so admission rate in the United States for the Haitian migrant surge in del rio texas and they that's why they show uh, that's why they showed up right because they knew the system could be gamed it's not fun to show up and be told you got to go all the way back to chile chile's a long way from the u.s mexico border yeah geography but the people who were there had a better than even shot of staying in the united states and sure enough uh mallorcas the dhs secretary 
has said that, uh, yeah, we got about about 12,000 or so of the 17,000 total look like they have been released into the U.S. They're released on conditions and and, uh, approximately, I think it's about 10,000 or so. 12,000 have been released. Yes. And of the 5,000 that are still in process, we will uh, make determinations whether they will be uh, returned uh, to uh, Haiti uh, based on our public health and public interest uh, authorities. So are we talking about a total of 12,000 or could it be even higher? It could uh, it could be even higher. Could be even higher substantially more than half already are in the country. You're going to get to three quarters of those uh, three quarters of those who came to the U.S.-Mexico border will be. Yeah, they will be led into the United States. Something along those lines. So your odds, if you could get to the U.S.-Mexico border, Del Rio, of of getting into the U.S. forever. I mean, you get to you get to stay in America, enjoy all the benefits of being in America, your odds were, are going to end up being three out of four, maybe even more like four out of five. How many people you think would take that deal? Or you can apply through the legal immigration system and go through all this stuff. And yeah, guess what? They don't want to do that. They'd rather do it this way. Rather take their chances at the border that they'll be led in the U.S. And most of them are. Look, they're right. They made for their purposes a good call. Yeah, they're violating U.S. law and sovereignty, and there's a dishonesty at the heart of all this, but they want to be in the U.S., and guess what? They're going to be in the United States. That's the way this is going to go. So you got to sit there and wonder to yourself, well, hold on, hold on a second. Um, what is it exactly that the Biden administration is going to do about this? Because there's already reports of another surge of Haitian migrants on their way, a caravan, if you will, on the on the way. What measures could they take? Well, for one thing, they could. Yes, it is true that these are individuals who are staying in place and surrendering themselves. In essence, we haven't seen them try to, at least in not in large numbers, make a run for it across the border. But in other places along the border, that's constantly happening. You have a lot of drug trafficking going on. You have people who are just flagrantly violating uh, U.S. sovereignty. And walls help with that. Walls help overall border security. This is what the people say, walls don't work. What what they don't know or refuse to know, what they like to ignore, is that even if you have some areas with walls, some without, it slows down the inflow and makes it a lot harder, which then allows for the better deployment of border resources in other places. Right. Think about it like if you're playing a game of let's say you're playing capture the flag and, you know, you're on 100, 100 yards of of field you can play on. If 30 yards on your side of where, where you're keeping your flag, if 30 yards have a 10 foot high fence, isn't it a lot easier to get the people that are going to try to run in the other 70 yards? Right. It condenses them. It creates a flow into certain areas. It obviously helps. And it would help even more to have a whole lot more fence than even 30 percent. But the point is, the Biden administration does not want a more secure border. We have a lot of evidence of that. I mean, here is Mayorkas again, the DHS secretary, saying that they will not build, they will not expand upon uh, the wall in any meaningful way. We did. 
We encountered them. Uh, they gathered, they assembled uh, in that one location in Del Rio, Texas, and we applied the laws. My, we applied the public health law under the CDC's authority, and we applied immigration law. My question law. is, why did you allow them in the country in the first place? Why didn't you build, forgive me, a wall or a fence to stop them from walking in this flood of people coming across the dam? It looks like a highway that allows them to cross the Rio Grande. It is this pol the policy of this administration. Uh, we do not agree with the building of the wall. Why not? I would love to hear an explanation for that. Because you know what they'll say? Oh, we're a nation of immigrants. They'll, they'll get into some, oh, what about the poem? What about the Emma Lazarus poem at the Statue of Liberty, the base of the Statue of Liberty? What about that? Yeah. Nah. Nah. They, they don't have a real answer for you. They'll just say some stuff about how we're nice and a nation of immigrants. Uh, well, shouldn't we have rule of law in this country? Doesn't that matter? I got to say, Governor Abbott, who is up for reelection in Texas, realizes this is an opportunity for him to step in. And that's why, you know, I don't want to just focus on the bad. There are people that are trying to address this problem. And he's saying that where the federal government is failing, Texas will do what it can to fill in the vacuum. Here he is. Because the Biden administration is refusing to do its duty uh, to enforce the laws of the United States, they have left Texas in no position other than for us to step up and do what we have to do. You know, you mentioned the people in Del Rio and the way that Del Rio was overrun uh, by a population about the same size of Del Rio that had been coming across the border illegally. As governor, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to step up and do whatever I have to do to make sure that I protect the people of Del Rio, as well as all these other communities in the state of Texas that the Biden administration is ignoring. The people in South Texas, they are angry about the Biden administration for ignoring them, for abetting them. The Biden administration cares far more about people who are not in this country than he does the people of American citizens who live in this country. I think he's right. The Biden administration is willing to make very specific exceptions to rule of law. The Biden administration is willing to bend over backwards for illegal immigrants in the U.S. because there's an ideological affinity for this. You have to remember, why does the left want illegal immigrants in the country? Why does the, the, the hardcore left and really increasingly just the Democrat Party overall, why do they want illegals to be here? Well, for one thing. Uh, it's a clear, it's an obvious power play, right? They want people to be here because they think that they are more likely to be dependent on the welfare state at some capacity and therefore more likely to vote Democrat. If you are for the party of the state, if you want big government to redistribute wealth, you know, to give money to people who have, have not earned it, if these are things that you want, then you clearly want to vote Democrat. That's the that's the point. That's why they know in the long term this benefits their electoral prospects. But then there's also a sense of the shame that America is supposed to have because of its history of colonialism and racism. And so what you see are Democrats are in favor of effectively unrestricted and open borders migration from third world, predominantly non-white countries. You know, they're not advocating that we take you don't hear Democrats out in the street saying we need more, you know, doctors from Sweden in our migration system or something. Or, you know, we need more 
Uh, no, they they want or even, you know, we need more PhDs from Japan. No, that's not what they're asking for. They want uh, as many people from poor, non-English speaking countries as possible. That is the preferred immigration status for the Democrat Party. We can all see why. So it's a combination of the left's white guilt complex. Right. That's a real factor in all this. And then also there's. The sense that this will uh, help the Democrats long term prospects for one party control, because that's what they really want. They they do not want to have a situation where um, the, the Republicans can even be a check or an alternative to what they do. They want what the uh, Mexican government had for 70 years, which was total one party, uh, one party rule under the PRI. You know, there are other countries where, yeah, there are elections, but the elections don't mean very much because the same people stay in charge no matter what. Another area where I wanted to turn our focus, if I could, uh, for a moment here is the latest on infrastructure. Here is and the big bill this week. I didn't mention this top of the show, but I felt like I should get to it. Um, Here is. Uh, oh, Cory Booker on the infrastructure bill and the spending and all that stuff happening this week. I don't like how this has been characterized as progressives versus moderates. This is Joe Biden's bill. And as he said to me in the Oval Office and a handful of others, he goes, I've never really been a progressive. This is about seizing what is a once in a generation opportunity, like those who built the canals and the railroads, like those who built uh, um, the incredible uh, Eisenhower Highway Act. If we miss this opportunity, every dollar that we shrink it is a dollar that we're not investing in our future. And it's unfortunate. So how this plays out? Yeah, this is Washington. I'm sure there's going to be some kind of compromise. But to me, to compromise uh, repairing our electrical grid or to compromise uh, ending being the only nation on the planet Earth of industrial nations that doesn't have paid family leave, that has its costs and it's going to make America lose the boldness of, of the possibility of jumping forward as a nation. Well, I mean, what is this guy talking about? If you don't spend even more, even trillions more than the government's already spending, you're going to lose our ability to jump forward as a nation or something as if what we're seeing from the Biden administration is in any way indicative of an understanding of how to grow the economy an understanding of how to make people freer, happier, wealthier, better off. No, what Democrats want to do is just endlessly slice up the existing pie and be in a position of authority to give it to other people. Right. They want to distribute out the pie among among uh, the people that they favor. That's the whole point. They're not looking to make things prosper. At least that's not the the uh, primary focus of their policies. No, they're much more focused on what's fair, not what's smart. And fair is whatever they say it is. Don't ever forget that. So what's going on this week? You've got the Biden administration and congressional Democrats with the fate of their three point five trillion dollar reconciliation package, plus a one trillion dollar bipartisan infrastructure bill. I mean, really, they keep they keep separating these things out. We're talking about five trillion dollars of spending. That's what this really is going to be about five trillion. That's a lot of money. Now, I know that's that's the Captain Obvious. Hello, Captain Obvious. That's a very obvious thing to say. But I think it's important. Because now we're getting to numbers here 
where you're going to put strain on the currency. There will be inflation. There will be negative economic ramifications from this that you feel and that matters to you, to all of us. And it also goes toward the government in far greater control of the economy. You know, we like to think of ourselves as a free marketplace and the American people are making all the decisions. Uh, If they can do this kind of spending, think about all the social engineering that's going on. Think about the ways that they're effectuating policy without actually having to pass a formal law because they're doing this through reconciliation. Notice how Cory Booker said a once in a generation opportunity to do this. Why would they think it's appropriate right now? Why would they think it makes sense to take this once in a generation opportunity when the country is very split? The Biden numbers right now are terrible in terms of approval. I mean, he's down in the low 40s. The Biden administration is drowning and you have a 50-50 Senate and a handful of votes separating the Congress. And you think now's the time for a once in a generation leap forward, a great leap forward, you could say, of spending. It doesn't make doesn't make sense to me. Um, So I've just got to say, I think that we need to stand up and understand what the implications of all of this are. I mean, Nancy Pelosi. Isn't it amazing? Nancy Pelosi is like 78, 79 years old. I mean, this, this, woman needs, this woman needs to retire. It's, it's time for Nancy to go do something else other than constantly annoy the American people and make this a worse country to live in. I really mean that. I mean, it's time for Nancy to spend time with the grandkids, you know? But instead, she's, she's just wielding power. I mean, there, there is a particular kind of, uh, of early early boomer or late silent generation individual that we see in American politics, Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi. There are some Republicans falling on this, too. But it's really the Democrats who seem the more the, the most likely to have these individuals who just they're 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 old, you know, bony knuckles have to grip onto the levers of power to the very last second. I can't imagine just being a normal person, just being a normal American. They, that that to them, to Nancy Pelosi, that is the greatest hell to not be rich and powerful. How does how is Nancy Pelosi going to get up in the morning and face the day? I mean, she's always going to be rich, of course, but she doesn't have a lot of power. She's addicted to it. And Democrats let her have it and support her in it because she gives them she gives the clamoring masses of over emotional children that are the base of the Democrat Party. She gives them what they want. Here she is on how. Oh, if they don't increase the debt limit, it's so horrible. What are we going to do? Isn't that irresponsible beyond words? The full faith and credit of the United States should not be questioned. That's in the Constitution of the United States. Uh, 14th Amendment. Go look at that. It's in the Constitution. There is a school of thought that says we don't even have to have these votes. But we do. We as of now, we still do have to have it. And we cooperated on three occasions when President Trump was president in order to lift the debt ceiling, even to have the discussion that it could possibly be in, uh, in default. It, it lowers our it did the last time lowered our credit rating. I, I, and so, pre, who said it more articulately than Mitch McConnell at the time? You cannot play Russian roulette with the debt ceiling and the well-being of our economy. Republicans are going to cave on this one. Just just know that now they're going to be people go, oh, no, you know, there are people give speeches. And they're going to show up in tricorn hats and they're going to be talking. Oh, I, we will stand against it. No, they won't. They'll, they'll cave. 
Okay, because the politics of this favor Democrats, and they know that. That's why they take the approach that they do. The Democrat Party is able to demagogue this in a way where Republicans lose. So guess what? They're not going to they're not going to decide, you know what? We're going to fight to the end on this one. So you're going to see a a debt ceiling increase and you're going to see the Democrats get a lot of what they want here. Oh, no, cinema and mansion are going to save us. I don't know, but I wouldn't I wouldn't bet on that. They'll pare this down a little bit. But, you know, if, if I tell you that I want like Hunter Biden style, five hundred thousand dollars for a buck finger painting, which, by the way, would be amazing, obviously be a self-portrait with the swoop. Some of you know what the swoop is. And it, but if I said I want five hundred grand and you said, no, that's completely insane. Your finger painting isn't worth that. And I said, fine. How about three hundred and fifty K and you conceded? I would still be pretty darn happy. I'd be happy to take that three hundred and fifty K because it's an outrageous sum for what it is that I'm doing. And yet that's the way that's the situation playing out with the government right now. And then there's the health care workers who are not vaccinated. You like that transition? Cool. Like the other side of the pillow. Uh, the healthcare workers right now in New York State, uh, this is from the Hill.com. New York Governor Kathy Hochul is considering deploying the medically trained members of the National Guard ahead of an anticipated shortage of healthcare workers. Hochul released a comprehensive plan to address staff shortages in New York facilities Saturday amid concerns that a large number of healthcare employees will not meet Monday's vaccine deadline. We are still in a battle against COVID to protect our loved ones, and we need to fight with every tool at our disposal, uh, Hochul said. I am monitoring the staffing situation closely. So think about this. They're going to have to deploy National Guard medical personnel because they're going to force actual day-to-day medical personnel in the civilian workforce out of their jobs because they don't want the shot. Just remember this. Have they granted an exception based on even just just on natural immunity have they granted a natural immunity exception uh to this mandate for healthcare workers no they have not why because they don't believe in science they don't actually believe in what is true they believe in power and policy that's what's actually going on here that's the situation the circumstance unfolding before us so as a result what they're doing is wrong What they're doing is grotesque, and it's going to make things harder for people who are in the hospital. But this is where we are. This is the situation, right? Um, So I just want to note, here we are going to see this where you're going to have a shortage of hospital workers. You're going to have a shortage of people who are able to tend to those who are sick for any reason, not just for COVID. And it's because the vaccine mandate now has a near religious significance for people. It's, it's not just about health. It's not just about, oh, you know, we think this might be good for some people at some time. It's you're a bad person unless you get this. You must get this. There can be no choice about it whatsoever. So we'll see what ends up happening in New York. By the way, there was also a mandate in uh, a mandate in. New York City for the school t- uh, for school personnel, teachers and such. And that is in the courts right now. I believe there's a stay in effect. It'll probably get overturned soon, but at least some people are fighting back. I did see there were some protests, uh, people in I think it was Staten Island 
who went into a food court and were chanting about freedom and no vax mandates and stuff. And I mean, that's encouraging. But just remember what we're seeing in Australia. We thought Australia was, you know, the UK with nicer people and better beaches. And it's actually Australia has turned into Australia has turned into East Germany with koalas. I mean, they're throwing people on the ground. They're arresting them from their kids. Why? Because they feel like it. And now on the insurrection, the insurrection. Here is Liz Cheney, a a favorite of the never Trumper anti-Republican left. She will do the bidding of Democrats as long as it advances her own very narrow interest. Here she is on 60 Minutes. What he's done is embrace Donald Trump. And if I were doing what he's doing, I I would be deeply ashamed of myself. I don't know how you explain that to your children. When you are in a situation where you have somebody who did what Donald Trump did, it is absolutely clear he cannot continue to be somebody you embrace. But are you saying you can't support anybody who supports him? I'm saying that there are people who supported Donald Trump because of his policies. But there's a difference between somebody who voted for Donald Trump and being the Republican leader after an insurrection and setting all of that aside and going to Mar-a-Lago and, and rehabilitating him, bringing him back in. That, to me, is unforgivable. Ah, I see. So, so now it's to be in Liz Cheney's good graces. You have to throw Trump aside forever. I don't. I don't think so. Look, I think Trump's going to run. I'm very confident that that is what is going to end up happening here. He's going to run against Biden. It's going to happen, and that will certainly be an interesting time in American politics. I look forward to it in that regard. But as for the insurrection, oh my, the insurrection. Let's talk about this for a second. January sixth. But first of all, it's not an insurrection. Anyone who says that is an idiot. Just start with that. It wasn't an insurrection. It was a riot. And there were people who did bad things. They shouldn't have done it. I've never wavered on that. You should not assault police. You should not destroy property over a political dispute like this. Uh, That's not what people do. And and uh, on top of that, we now know that there was an FBI informant. Theo, you ask for a miracle. I give you the FBI. Yeah, you guys got you guys got that one. Some of you remember Die Hard well enough, but you have an FBI informant in the crowd. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? The FBI had an informant in real time telling them what was going on. Huh. Was there only one FBI informant? Do we think that's likely? How many were there? There's definitely one. This is now official. The FBI had a guy who was giving real time updates about what was going on at the Capitol that day. Was he an instigator? Was he a coordinator of the riot itself? Do you think the government would tell you honestly if he was? There's going to be more. I can't tell you specifically yet how much or what. There's going to be more about this. The deep state and the federal law enforcement agencies had their fingers deeper in this whole thing than they've told us. That's obvious because we just found that out in the last week. And I don't know the full extent of it, but I have seen in terrorism investigations because I used to be involved in them. Right Back in my old CIA Intel division days. And I have seen when an informant who wants to shave time off a sentence or an informant who wants uh, whatever it may be, money or some benefit from the government will go from reporting on to encouraging, will go from being 
a voice to the law enforcement uh, officials working with him, to his handlers, about what's happening, to a voice in the room with the plotters saying, yeah, that's a great idea. We should do more of that. I got an idea. Let's really put, oh, let's not ask any questions about whether we should really do this. Let's do it. I have concerns, my friends, very real ones that we are going to see, what we're going to see here about how much the government knew about this and did nothing on January 6th in advance, and also how many informants and perhaps even instigators were involved in January 6th. We will find out more in the months ahead, and it's going to make you very angry, unfortunately, but we need to know the truth. That's it for the Buck Sexton Show today. Thanks for being here with me, team. Honored and privileged to have you in the hut. Uh, please check out my bucksexton.locals.com. Become a subscriber. Become a supporter. Even better. And I will be back with you on, uh, well, tomorrow. Shields high.